This is a recording made in the chapter of the opened book under the covering title of Saul, who also is called Paul. <clears throat> and particularly in this aspect of it, we are considering the Apostle Paul as he describes himself as an earthen vessel containing wonderful treasure. I suppose a good many of us at some time in our lives have known the embarrassment of poverty. Perhaps not strictly poverty in the way that some have to endure. But there's also an embarrassment of riches. And that's where we are this morning. When I put my hand into this earthen vessel and take out some of the gems that are there, which is the most important? Which is the one that I should deal with first? I don't know. And so, I felt that possibly we would say, let's consider the gem, the treasure, under the heading of the word salvation. For without salvation, we cannot proceed, because by nature we are lost, by nature we are condemned, and salvation is the beginning of a process which will ultimately present us without fault in the presence of the living God. If anyone says, well, I think we ought to have started on something else, well, you're quite, quite right. Only we must make a decision, and I'm concentrating our attention this morning on this great theme, salvation. Now, will you turn to the first chapter of Matthew, where the New Testament opens, and there we have a reference to our Saviour himself. Verse 21. Matthew 1.21 And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Let's stop for a moment. Call his name Jesus. Keep your finger in chapter 1, and turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and the eighth verse. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and the 8th verse. It says, For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Well, you say that's strange, but when you look at the margin, you see Joshua. See, the word Jesus is the Greek way of writing and pronouncing the Hebrew name Joshua. Strictly speaking, our Saviour's name was Joshua, but Greek, Jesus. The point is that whether you say it in one language or another, it means a Saviour. So let's come back to Matthew 1. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So on the very first page of the book, the New Testament, we have the Saviour and his saving work and the meaning of his name and the link that is between his name and his great sacrificial redeeming love. There's no need for me to, to stress this because I think most of us rejoice in this knowledge altogether at once now. But still, whenever we, we use the word Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God, 
we are saying God's salvation. May we never forget the price that was paid to set us free. The redemption that eclipses the Passover and the redemption and deliverance of Egypt. But all types and shadows. The Joshua that leads us across the river Jordan into the land of promise. God's great salvation. For it's not merely a salvation from. It's about salvation to. And it's a present salvation day by day. He is the one who is in the past, in the present, and the future, true to his name, a saviour indeed. Let's look a further afield, shall we? We read as a part of our lesson Romans, the first chapter, and I think that's the next passage we must turn to. You know how it starts? Paul, not merely a servant, but a slave, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So straight away in the first verse, he emphasises the good news of what? God's salvation. He then goes back to the Old Testament to show that it's fulfilling God's purpose there revealed, and ultimately leads on to verse 16, which he had in mind apparently when he started, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's a negative way of putting it, and sometimes it's a stronger way than the mere assertion. I should think I'm not ashamed, he said. I'm willing to preach this gospel in Rome also, and take all the consequences, as he did ultimately, you remember. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For, notice these, the logical way in which he approaches this. For, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For, there's another reason. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For, there's another reason, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. All this is no sentimental gospel. Unless you are saved, you're lost. Unless you're justified, you're condemned. And here is the essence of the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. No wonder he could say, I am not ashamed. Sometimes we belittle a thing because we want to magnify it. And I rather think that is the figure of speech used here. Not ashamed is that I should think I wasn't. I glory in it. But he put it the other way round. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And when you look at that word power in the original, you could say it is the miracle of God. Unto salvation, it is a miracle, isn't it? That stoops down from heaven, pays this price, lays hold upon us, turns us round, gives us a living faith and a blessed hope, all free. We do nothing to deserve it, and we cannot do anything to merit it, but it's God's way of salvation. So, this man, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, who boasted in his righteousness, the self-righteousness, now takes the other extreme. And he says, oh, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This is the miracle of God unto salvation. 
and then, of course, divides it up, the Jew and the Greek and so on. You don't need that to be expounded further. Let's notice another aspect, especially when we're dealing perhaps with other folks, the Acts of the Apostles, the fourth chapter. Uh, a miracle has taken place, and you find it says in verse 10, Be it known unto all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he doesn't stop now, he goes on, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole or saved. Here was a miracle. A man crippled, unable to move, had to be carried about. Then he goes on to say, this is the stone which the which was set at naught by you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there the healing. This word salvation is the word healing. Whichever way you translate it, bodily healing or spiritual healing. So he says, look, this man is healed. He stands on his feet. He begins to walk himself. Neither is there he the, the healing, the true salvation. This is only a type and shadow of the, of the real thing. Neither is the real thing in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that's as true today as when the words were uttered. There is no salvation by any plans, by any things that you and I can do. We may write books, we may circulate them, we may make tapes and everything, but unless Christ is there, either in person or in witness, salvation is utterly impossible. But blessed be God, he stoops to use these earthen vessels and the ministry of the gospel can bring salvation to a poor sinner who puts his trust in the Son of God, as we know for ourselves and rejoice in that fact. So we have his name, Jesus, Joshua, a, a saviour by name. We have his gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And we read there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. It's rather a pity that the word gospel is used by folks in a very loose way, the gospel of social reform, the gospel of clean houses, the gospel of this, the gospel of that. But here is the gospel which is beyond all the possibilities of men to encompass and is of God and through Christ alone. If you notice now the extent of this salvation, it's expressed in wonderful language in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. I'm taking it a bit like this because... I'm conscious that those of you who are listening to me are already saved and know it, but you also have the glorious opportunity of speaking to others and sometimes you may pick up a word or two from the speaker as a way of presenting certain aspects and I trust that may be so in this case. The um, chapter seven twenty-five. 
It says, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I did come across a little leaflet once. It says, from the, up, from the guttermost to the uttermost, playing on the words. The deep degradation of some who have been lifted out of the horrible pit and the miry clay and their feet put upon a rock and became ministers of the very salvation which had accomplished their deliverance from the guttermost to the uttermost. But that's by the way. Here we have then a salvation which has no limits so far as man is concerned, to the uttermost. And who is it that's being revealed? It is Christ, of course. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And yet that holy, harmless, undefiled person bore our sins in his own body on the tree. And there was no other one to do it because everyone else had need to have a saviour themselves. And so we're shut up to Christ. Christ is our saviour in the fullest sense or we have no salvation that's worth the word so far as this earthen vessel is concerned. The treasure in him. Will you now look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. This is a part of an argument of course. You must go right back practically the first chapter but still we can't do that. For by grace are you saved through faith. Don't forget that faith earns nothing. You haven't merited salvation because you happen to believe Christ. You believe him because there's nothing else that you can possibly do. He's done everything that's necessary. And it's by the grace of God, free, unmerited favour, that you're saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So we have the emphasis that we are saved by faith, but we're saved by grace, lest we should think that our faith has earned something. Our faith is simply the empty hand stretched out to receive the dole that the beggar begs and can pay nothing for it. It's a free gift. So we've got now his name, Jesus, means a saviour. The gospel that the apostle had and which he preached was the power of God unto salvation, the miracle of God. And in the Acts of the Apostles, they quickly emphasised there was no other name under heaven given among men. Neither is there the salvation in any other. So we're shut up to Christ. We've looked at it's to the uttermost, right to the extreme end. And then we discover it's not merely a faith because we've merited it. It's by grace 
are ye saved through faith. Now shall we turn to the preaching of this gospel as we find revealed in the Acts of the Apostles. And the Apostle Paul particularly in the 13th chapter where his public ministry takes a definite stand. Acts 13, 26 Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Here's a man given an opportunity to preach in the synagogue, and he emphasizes straight away salvation. So in his estimate, as in ours I trust, we realize this is the beginning. Unless we are saved, the Bible's a closed book, and we are without hope, and we are lost. We are lost. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We sang a hymn which was written on Psalm 23, simple language but both wonderfully true. And so we go on in our look, uh, consideration of these features and look at the 28th chapter of this Acts of the Apostles. Would you say that's the last chapter? Oh yes. And what's the last word in the last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles? Verse um, 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and they will hear it. And there was a division and Israel passed into their present blindness and you and I have the glorious opportunity of hearing a full salvation practically as a consequence. So we've got this stress you see in Paul's epistles. It's not reserved for the opening of the gospel to the unsaved, it keeps on coming. This man delighted and rejoiced in the trust that was given him to preach a saviour, a salvation, a salvation that was eternal, a salvation that was gloriously in the future, a salvation which involved body and spirit, a salvation which to do with the forgiveness of sins, a salvation that provided a robe of righteousness, a salvation that guaranteed life everlasting in glory, all under that one word. Oh, what a saviour, that he died for me. From condemnation he has set me free. And so we've got this wonderful trust to make this known as far as it humanly possible. Now let's take you the stage further and notice in writing to Timothy, Second Timothy, chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we often turn to verse 16 when we're speaking about the inspiration of Scripture. But don't let us forget that this was a part of a statement made by Paul to his son Timothy, and we go back to the 15th verse, we could go back further still, but the 15th verse, and that from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith 
which is in Christ Jesus. What an encouragement for you and for me when we have to deal with children and we have the, the problem of putting salvation before them. But the Holy Scriptures are given to us so that we may, by turning to the teaching of this Old Testament Scriptures, they're the ones, of course, that was in view, we see the types and the shadows and the pictures and the way in which God has spoken of his deliverance of his people that will make a child wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So there's an encouragement for you and for me. Even though we are facing a difficult problem, it's not so difficult but the Spirit of God can make the Passover lamb and all the other types and shadows of the Old Testament bear their witness that the child may pass from death unto life. So I'll repeat again. Verse 14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. But you don't stop there. Scripture is still at our disposal. After you're saved, you need to grow in grace. And so I'll finish the reading. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. So verse 15 says from a child. Verse 17 ends up with a man of God. That's the range of this book. From a child, you know the holy letters. And a man of God still needs it, and will still need it, until the day comes when he's in the presence of the living word of God himself, and the written word will then have served its turn and purpose. Shall we look now at Romans, the 11th chapter, just to get a little idea of the intense earnestness of this man of God, to whom we owe so much under God himself. Romans, what did I say, the 11th chapter and the 14th verse. Now I think we'll go back a little bit. He's speaking about his own people, verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, Inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and what? And might save some of them. So you can't help but realise this man had salvation in front of him nearly all the time, that I might save some. Shall we look again with this thought in mind? And uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, you'll catch the same refrain, I think. 1 Corinthians 9, 22. 
<laughs> He's speaking about himself. Suppose we go back to verse 19. For though I be free from all, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, brackets, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. What's he doing all this for? I have made all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. Isn't this a wonderful thought, that man's intense earnestness? He put himself in all sorts of predicaments and positions and conditions so that by some means or another he might save some. I feel a bit rebuked sometimes as we read the earnestness of this man of God. He set before us indeed as an example that we should follow very closely because he followed so closely in the steps of his Lord. Shall we look now at Romans the 10th chapter and the 13th verse? Romans the 10th chapter and the 13th verse. We go back a little bit. Uh, just pick up um, verse 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart, don't forget the two must go together, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you confess that Christ is the risen Son of God, you'll be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. Now that's scripture. I remember when I first heard the gospel, I was as much a heathen as those who live in Africa. I didn't know beginning or end of it. And I responded to the appeal, if you believe this message, will you stand up and say so? And I think I've told you before, I looked round that vast congregation in Exeter Hall, over a thousand people looking at me and I had to stand up and I passed from death unto life without knowing a single doctrine or able to explain anything. I just believed the message of a risen Saviour. Oh, how wonderful it is and the way in which God can bless. So here we have it. The... Um, that's uh, Romans, the 10th chapter and the 13th verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? Oh yes, there's all this in it. But that's in the hands and, and under the control of God. He uses saved sinners himself and sends them to tell other sinners that there's a salvation 
that's equally theirs if they'll only put their trust in the same Son of God. Shall we look again at 1 Timothy 1.15? 1 Timothy 1.15, I'll say look again. I think it's another aspect of a truth we've just been considering. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. There's an impression here of earnestness, of reality, of something very, very important. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. What, Paul? What? Nothing about heavenly places. Nothing about before the foundation of the world. Just this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds that beautiful little bit, of whom I am chief. And it may mean, not so much he was the chief of sinners, but he was the first of sinners to be saved in the way that he was. He was there on the road to Damascus. And he was saved by the appearance to him in vision of the risen Christ. And he said, I am a pattern unto all those that believe. I did nothing. I simply looked up and said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Finished. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the first of a series, or of whom I am the chief of sinners in my own estimation. And then we have in 2 Timothy, I think we, we ought to just give that a, a word, although we rejoice to know before we reach it. 2 Timothy 1 9 are these words. Who hath saved us, he's speaking about God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works. We can never do anything to pay for our salvation. We can never do anything by any suffering we endure. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. According to his own graceful, gracious purpose. A purpose that goes back before time. Which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So this is another way of saying before the foundation of the world or overthrow of the world, here's a purpose working out of which we have no possibility of altering or affecting. But what about now? That's before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and who hath brought life and immortality, and that may be better expressed, immortal life. Not merely two things, life and immortality, but life, yes, but immortal life. You know how so many philosophers have argued, and unbelievers have argued about the necessary immortality of the soul? Well, that's not known in Scripture. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. But immortality is the gift of God. And it is this, this great salvation which provides life
for those who are dead in sins. And salvation is the great covering term for the grace of God given to you and to me. The door by which we enter into all the promises that wait us in whichever calling we may be found. I trust that although it's a simple word this morning and one that you already anticipate and believe, you're nevertheless glad to have your thoughts directed to him who is a saviour, who brings salvation with all its blessings and hopes and one day we're going to look upon him and we're going to rejoice in his presence as a consequence of the great salvation which has been provided by his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension and his present session at the right hand of God. Oh, what a saviour that he died for me.